Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. This is God's word for us this morning. Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in the first 13 verses together. Read with me as I read the text. Starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for incredible grace. Thank you for this text of scripture. The temptation of Jesus is one that we can all relate to for we are tempted in many ways. And Lord, even now we wake up, start our day with temptations on our mind and in our hearts. There's desires that are sinful and wild and Lord, these must be battled against. And Jesus, thank you for being the one who passed every test. And Lord, we worship you because you're the one who is unlike us in this way. So Lord, may you give us grace as we study this word this morning. Lord, we praise you for the many blessings you're giving us as a church. We praise you for the incredible works you're doing all over the church. Lord, there's so many individuals and families that are coming to Christ and it's so wonderful to see and there's blessings. But God, we also have hearts that are burdened and heavy about things. And so, Lord, we praise you for Cody and Brooke Shepherd and the delivery of their baby girl. Lord, we are so thankful. And we praise you that Jolene Davis is back from a successful transplant surgery and Lord, back at home in Carlisle with her husband, Jim, we praise you for that. And Lord, our hearts are burdened this morning. Pastor Andy, we pray for him. Lord, his shoulder surgery and praise that it was successful. But Lord, would you just be with him as he's home and recovering? God, would would your mercy be upon him? Lord, we think of Mindy Jeske's dad this morning as a congregation, we pray for him very serious health things there. We pray, God, that your grace would be upon that family. And Lord, there's a host of other things, but we got to get to the word here. So 
Lord Jesus, would you just see every single detail and would you glorify Jesus and help us to worship at his feet this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome. My name is Pastor Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here at Living Water. So grateful that you're here with us this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Luke. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we are launching out into our new Easter sermon series titled Following Jesus to Easter. And some of you are like, Easter? It was just January, like a minute ago. Easter is nine weeks away. And in my opinion, you can never start too early getting ready for the biggest celebration in the Christian calendar. Amen? So every week we get to prepare for Easter. It's a little earlier this year. Easter's a little earlier. And so on the calendar, we want to get prepped and get ready. And by the way, um, I heard through the grapevine that, uh, you know, the Catholics are celebrating Ash Wednesday on Valentine's Day night, right? Like Valentine's Day. And I'm like, well... If the Catholics are getting ready on Valentine's Day, we evangelicals can do them up one. Amen? Right? We can start right now getting ready for Easter. So my sermon title is Trusting God When I'm Tempted. Trusting God When I'm Tempted. How many of you are dealing with some sort of temptation in your life? Um, All hands should go up and every... every, uh, Face should be nodding like this. We're tempted by many things in this life, including, you know, what we think, what we act upon, what we say. There's always temptations. And so before we jump into the story of Jesus's temptation with Satan in Luke chapter four, I want to give you a little background about the gospel of Luke. Now, Luke is written in AD 62 by the, uh, the author, Luke, all right, so he is a doctor. He's a smart dude. He is a committed follower of Christ. He's a companion traveler with the apostle Paul. He writes this gospel and the book of Acts, which is incredible. Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus, but he interviewed those who were eyewitnesses. And he puts together this really long gospel And it provides incredible detail on the birth of Christ and the humanity of Christ. So when you read Luke, you're going to be blown away by by those realities. So it's a beautiful gospel. We're going to be walking through it together um, all spring long. So as we consider the temptation of Jesus and Satan tempting Christ, let's just talk a little bit about temptation, fasting, and prayer. Okay, so let's start with temptation. Temptations are enticements or appeals to the person normally towards the evil side of life. You know what I'm saying? Temptations are enticements or appeals normally to things that will hurt me. Can I get a chocolate amen? Right? Temptations are tests. They are tests to see who we trust in. Okay, when temptation comes into your life, it's a test to reveal who you are trusting in. Are you going to trust in Jesus or are you going to trust in yourself? All right, so consider some of the passages of Scripture about temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, 
and Hebrews 4.15 are very good verses for you to memorize if you have not already done so as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear up underneath it. Another way to say that is whenever you're tempted, there's always an escape hatch. Amen? There's always an escape door that you can go find. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, consider this verse. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, mainly Jesus, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Some of you might come into a passage like this and think, well, I mean, Jesus' temptation was great and all, but it's not really real. I mean, he was God after all. Certainly, it was like a 50% temptation. I'm all human. Therefore, all the temptation that I experience is worse than Jesus. Do not let yourself think that. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And this passage that we're looking at is a great illustration of that. So Jesus is fasting, praying, enduring temptation, and he's starting his earthly ministry out with a bang, with fasting and prayer, fasting for 40 days, and all God's people said that's a long time, right? And then he's praying. Now, fasting has become very popular in our culture today. Intermittent fasting has swept the country these last few years and people are trying it. Let me just say this, all of that aside, Living Waters Fellowship, the church that you're in right now, has been built on the discipline of fasting and prayer. Since 2008, we have fasted and we have prayed. And I would argue from the very beginning of our first basement service in my house till this very week, all the blessings of God that we have experienced through salvations and changed lives and God doing all that he's done has come as a result of fasting and prayer. God has done it. So even this week, I challenged our prayer team to give up at least three meals. I invited them into the process. Fast and pray, give up three meals, and instead of you know, eating during that time, spend that time praying. I don't know how the whole team did, but I, as I look back at my own week, I will say this, the discipline of fasting hurt. Can I get an amen? It hurt. It hurt my body. It hurts my mind. You don't know how hard it is until you do it, right? The only people who think that fasting is easy are people who don't fast, right? And this is a, a thing, but it hurt, but it, as the song goes, it hurt so good, right? It was a blessing. God did amazing things this week. Now, Contrary to popular current belief, fasting is as old of a discipline as you can possibly imagine. I want you to consider a few biblical examples. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That is not Moses, by the way. I'm going to get to that guy. But Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights according to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Consider Elijah 
who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in 1 Kings 19. Consider the Jews who fasted and prayed on behalf of Queen Esther as she prepared to go to the king to save God's people in Esther chapter 4. Consider Nehemiah. He fasted, wept, and prayed for Jerusalem as the city lay destroyed and the walls burned to the ground. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. And then the football guy is Russell Okung. And you should consider him uh, because he was a lineman for the Seattle Seahawks most recently. Last year, he did a 40-day fast and he lost 100 pounds in 40 days. And all God's people said, that's dangerous. Yes, it is, right? But people are still doing it. That's the point. Fasting is all the rage, but as we come into this passage of Scripture, I want to encourage you to say, Jesus Christ is all the rage. More than fasting and prayer and all the different things you're going to see, Christ is who I want you to worship. He's who I want you to pay attention to, to get excited about. That's my heart of my sermon. So as we attack Luke chapter 4, my big idea is this, trusting God when I'm tempted means that I look to Jesus Christ who perfectly and patiently trusted God in the midst of extreme temptation. So trusting God when I'm tempted, what it means is that I look to Jesus Christ who patiently and perfectly trusted God in the midst of extreme temptation. So as we look at Jesus being Tempted by Satan, what I want you to see is Jesus is awesome and you can worship him. You can take joy in him. You can find your satisfaction in him. You can look to him as the one who passed every test from Satan. And I also want you to not only worship Jesus, but mimic him. Right? Do you remember the Apostle Paul saying, mimic me as I mimic Christ? I want you to look at Jesus and how he handles temptation. I know I want you to take notes for your own life because Jesus is going to communicate some things that I think some of you are going to need. In fact, I think all of you are going to need this, including myself. So by God's grace, we're going to learn about what Jesus said in his temptation and how he got through this and by God's grace, make some application in our own lives. So I'm going to give you four truths about what Jesus said to Satan And then hopefully we can uh, wrap this up. Truth number one is this. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. When you are tempted, you need to look at Christ who said, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Verse one and two. So starting in verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing And when those days were ended, he was hungry. As an aside, is there a bigger understatement in all the Bible? He didn't eat for 40 days, and when it ended, he was hungry? That's the understatement of the century, right? I'm led by the Holy Spirit. That's in essence what Jesus is saying. It's not a direct statement of Christ, but it is inferred in verse 1 and 2. I am led by the Holy Spirit. Look where Jesus in verse 1 is. He's full of the Holy Spirit right after his baptism. And then the Spirit of God that he's full of leads him into the wilderness. Those two categories don't make sense. Can I get an amen? 
You're full of the Spirit, and you're led into the wilderness. So Jesus starts his ministry with physical pain. He goes from the glory of his baptism to the pain of his temptation. He goes from the penthouse to the what class? Outhouse. He goes from the penthouse to the outhouse real quick. He goes 40 days without eating food. This is unimaginable to most of our minds. He's weak. He's rail thin. He's gaunt. He's faint. And the cycle, the pain cycle of not eating is fully upon him. Now, the longest fast I have ever done is seven days. I went seven days when I was praying about where to plant this church called Living Waters. And I can tell you the pain cycle is real, right? You go from the sharp pain of longing for food and then you get this like breakthrough where you break through to being focused and content and you're like feeling really good. And then you go into this next stage of straight up fatigue and weariness. And this is where Jesus gets tempted by Satan. Satan is hoping that Christ is susceptible after day 40 when he is weary and tired and faint and rail thin. That's when Christ comes or when Satan comes. Now Jesus' testing was a continual satanic assault. The participle in verse 2, being tempted, indicates there were many temptations. I mean, continuous temptations. We only know of the three because these are the three highlights that we get. But this is a continual onslaught from Satan. And Jesus is saying, in a sense, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. The first way you make your way through temptation is to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And where God's spirit leads is sometimes hard. And let me just make an application to our lives. Being led by the Holy Spirit means sometimes you will be led by the Holy Spirit to a hard place to do a hard thing. Anybody relate to that? You might be led by the Holy Spirit of God and full of the spirit. And that spirit will lead you to a hard place to do a hard thing for the glory of God. Our culture lives in an expectation of butterflies and rainbows. And oftentimes, the Spirit of God can lead us in a hard place, and we don't want to do the hard place or the hard thing. But fasting comes before feasting. And self-denial comes before blessing. Jesus is led to the wilderness, to the mountains and the cliffs and the rocks and the plateaus of the Judean hillside. And he, in the midst of that, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And that's why he's worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of your worship because he goes to the hard place to do the hard thing for your salvation. And those of you who know Christ as your Savior, trusting God means that when, the, when I'm tempted, I have to be led by the Holy Spirit and I have to be okay if that is a hard place that God calls me to go to. Truth number two is this, I'm dependent upon God. Not only am I led by the Holy Spirit, but I'm dependent upon God. Verse 3 and 4. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is in essence saying to Satan, I'm dependent upon God. The devil uses a first class conditional. Look at him go. 
The if that he uses means this. If, and let's assume that you are actually the son of God. That's what it means. Satan is testing Jesus. And did you know, Satan is full of tests and no rest. Can I get a witness? Satan is always testing, always tempting, always not at rest. Think about Satan. He's at war with God. He's in a cosmic battle against the creator God of the universe. Of course he's not at rest. And he doesn't want you to be at rest. He doesn't want anybody to be at rest. That's why he's always testing people. So if you have a lot of testing going on in your life, you can understand maybe the spiritual warfare that is surrounding that testing. That is real. The devil is tempting Jesus here with the lust of the flesh. Turn this stone into bread. Satan seeks to play on Jesus' desire for food. He hasn't eaten anything in 40 days. Of course Jesus is hungry. Certainly he's hungry. And Satan is hitting him where he's weakest, like Esau of old who sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of soup. Right? Esau got to that place where he's like, I don't care. I'm so hungry. I don't care about birthrights. I'll give it to you, Jacob. And Jacob's just sitting there like, ha ha, pays to be a cook. Can I get a cook's amen, right? Yeah, <laughs> pays to be a cook. Now listen. I can tell you right now, I would have turned those stones to donuts. Can I get an amen? I would have done that. I would have done it. Absolutely. Now, why do I say donuts? Because if you've ever fasted, you know how strong the temptation is to eat food. You know this. And so I was fasting this week. I'm super hungry. Had to go down to Indianola, pick the girls up. And we had to pick the girls up and drive back up from Indianola to Des Moines. I decide to be the fun dad. We're going to stop and get drinks, girls. Let's go get drinks. Drinks. No food. Drinks. So we pop into this Casey's. We get our drinks. We go to the checkout line. The guy at the corner, at the counter, unprovoked. I must have a sign on my face that says, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten anything forever. Offer me food, right? The guy looks at me. He's like, hey, uh, you know, we're just going to throw all those donuts away. So, uh, you guys can go ahead and load up as much as you want. Uh, it's free. It's on the house. Just take everything you want. Of course he did. <laughs> I'm looking at the guy like, of course. And so now I have to, the experience, the joyful experience of walking to the donut area of a Casey's. And racking up all these boxes full of donuts to my daughter's delight. They're like, yes! And I'm sitting there watching them put in sugary, wonderful, beautiful pieces of food that I cannot eat. Because that's how it always works. Turn those stones into donuts. The lust of the flesh is real. Right? Can I get an amen? It's real. Jesus doesn't fold to the desires of his hunger because he's the son of God. He responds with scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. It's God's word that feeds the soul of the human. Man shall not live by bread alone. And Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 says, But you shall live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Did you know that you don't live by bread alone this morning? 
You live by every word which comes out of the mouth of Almighty God. Jesus said in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. This is incredible. Manna or donuts or bread, you, win, you can eat them to survive, but there's no ultimate satisfaction in the bread itself. Truly to live is to live by the word of God and be fed by God. And what Jesus is telling Satan as he denies his first temptation is he's saying, I'm dependent on God. Now, this is really cool because Satan's trying to stir the pot. He's trying to get under Jesus' skin. He's trying to provoke him to anger. He's trying to get him to sacrifice his trust in God's promises with immediate action. And then as soon as he gets Jesus to cave, he'll have Jesus right where he wants him. And Jesus says, no, I'm dependent upon God. It reminds me of Psalm 142, verse 5. I don't know if you've ever read this verse before, but it's very powerful. I cry to you, O Lord, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. God, you are what I eat. Jesus says, I'm dependent upon God. And because he does this and we watch him and we're like, how does he do that? He's worthy of our worship this morning. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our trust. And as we know Christ, we are now called to mimic Christ. When, and when we're tempted, we are to say no and to say I'm dependent upon God. He's better. He's greater. He's more satisfying. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, says this, Father, I am empty, but you are full. I am hungry, but you are the bread of heaven. I am thirsty, but you are the fountain of life. I am weak, but you are strong. I am poor, but you are rich. I am foolish, but you are wise. I am broken, but you are whole. This quote tells us how we're supposed to respond when we get tempted by the lust of the flesh and Satan and all the bad things, we are to say, God is better. I am dependent on God. Truth number three is I choose the hard path. I choose the hard path, verses five through eight. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And he said to him, I will give you all this authority and their glory. It has been delivered to me. I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus, in essence, is saying, I choose the hard path. The devil and Jesus went up into the unseen realm. Don't ask me how high they went. And don't ask me exactly where they were. No one knows. They go up into the unseen realm and the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world throughout history. What a moment. They saw the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Mongol Empire, ancient Rome, the Incans and the Mayans, Napoleon's France, Great Britain, Hitler's Germany, China, and of course, the United States of America. Can I get an American amen? Hand on your heart. This is a shocking statement. Verse 6 is a shocking statement. I want you just to think about this for meditation. 
The devil says that the authority and the glory of the kingdoms have been delivered to him. And he gives the governments to whom he wants. These are stunning words from Satan. It gives you an idea of what governments are. It gives you an idea of the power of men and the glory of men. And who they belong to. It's very powerful. Satan wants Jesus to worship him, bow down, prostrate himself. So in essence, the devil is saying, look at all this power, Jesus. Look at these billions of people and all these governments. We don't have to do struggling and fighting and we don't really need to do conflict. Look at the bright lights. Look at the broad road of these kingdoms. Look at, look at this. Jesus, can't we just be friends? That's what he's asking. Can't we just be friends? Can't we just chill? What's with the hostility? What's with the fighting? Why do we need to do this thing? Let's just choose together. Let's choose the easy path. I'll give you all the kingdoms. This temptation is called the lust of the eyes. And Jesus once again responds with scripture, a quote from Deuteronomy 6.13, stating that God is the only person that we are to bow down toward. The sense of Jesus' sentence is in the emphatic sense, which means Jesus is saying powerfully and strongly, there's only one person that we will prostrate ourselves towards, and that is God alone. He's in, he's in a sense saying, devil, no. No. I choose the hard path. I'm going to choose the hard path. We are at war. We are not going to get along. We are not going to agree. I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to wage warfare against you, and I'm going to win. I'm going to win against the governments and the kingdoms of the world. I'm going to win. Jesus chose the hard path. He chose the nails. He chose Golgotha. He chose to have his skin ripped from him. He chose to bleed and drip blood on a cross for not the kingdoms of the world, for you and for me, for sinners who need reconciliation before God. This means that Jesus choosing the hard path is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our joy. He's worthy of our praise because he's the one who rules over all the kingdoms of men. Amen? Trusting God when I'm tempted means that I also, if I know Christ, I choose the hard path. We Christians are to bow down to God alone and serve him alone. So let me encourage you, Christian, don't be deceived by the urgent power of today's human kingdoms or the glorious nostalgia of the ancient kingdoms. Don't be deceived by money, power, sex, and fame or Satan's whispers to your heart Hey, can't we just be friends? Some of you are experiencing that this week. Can't we just be friends? Why do we have to have this hostility and this conflict? Can't you just indulge your flesh? Can't you just walk in sin? Can't you just go with the easy route? And every Christian who really knows Christ, you know what your answer is. You choose the hard path. You follow your master. You go the hard place and do the hard thing because Jesus Christ tells us to choose the hard path. Just yesterday, I was meeting with a couple 
And the lady who just trusted Christ, she said, since I have been saved, life has gotten really hard. Not easy. Right? And all God's people said, amen. I'm I'm telling you what, like it is real because Jesus tells us to choose the hard path. The hard path. And Christian, don't you think for a second that it ain't hard. It is hard to walk with Jesus. But I'd rather choose Jesus than anything this world affords today. That's how the old song goes, right? Because if Jesus is there, I'm good. And I've been saved for 25 years, and I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again today. Jesus Christ, in 25 years of saving me and being a Christian, he's never done me wrong. Amen? Not one time has he ever led me the wrong way. Not once. I didn't say it was easy. But it's always been the right path. I choose the hard path. Jesus did. And by God's grace, we do too. The final truth is this. I won't be foolish. I won't be foolish. He took him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then he quotes Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, perfectly. And Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil ended his temptation. Jesus, in a sense, on this last temptation, tells Satan, I won't be foolish. The devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, probably the southeast corner, where there's a big jump off area, and it looms over a cliff. It'd be 450 feet tall. And all God's people said, that's a big jump. And Satan asks Jesus to take a jump, take a swan dive, Jesus. Show us something spectacular and amazing. Come and see this Messiah who is exalted that the angels will catch. He'll jump and the angels will catch him. Not a toe, not even a little bit of his toe is going to touch the stone down below. This must be the Messiah. This must be the victorious king, right? Satan quotes two verses of scripture. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He quotes it, word perfect. Satan knows his Bible, Christian. Please know that he knows the scriptures. The problem with Satan is the problem with all false teachers. They're not straight out of Compton. They're straight out of context, okay? Straight out of context, see? Some of you need to see this because, listen... You're like, well, I heard this one guy and he, he, he quoted this verse and then this lady quoted this verse and man, they, they must know. They must know all the stuff if they know the verse. Normally, false teachers can know verses, but they pull them straight out of the context of where they were found. And that's what Satan is doing here. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6.16 and he said, I won't be foolish. Jesus says, just because I can jump off the temple doesn't mean I should jump off the temple. Just because that would be true and, I, and the angels would catch me doesn't mean that's, that's what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to go down Golgotha's hill. I'm, I got to go that direction. This is the beauty of Jesus. He says, I won't be foolish. And as we close the message, I remember when I was first saved, I was very zealous for God. <laughs> and I, I heard a quote from my disciples. They said, hey, listen, you're invincible and, and as long as you're doing God's will, like you're invincible, you can't be stopped. And I'm like, ooh, 
That's a dangerous thing to tell a young guy. And so shortly after that, there was a big storm near our house. A tornado touched down south of our house and the winds were whipping around, right? About 80, 90, 100 miles an hour winds and, and you know, sideways rain and the trees are going to fall down. And of course, we're typical Iowans, you know, like my brothers and I are just sitting there like dogs on a bone, like, let's go, let's get out there. This is cool. And it's like side, it's, I mean, it's crazy scary. And we're, we're, you know, we're like pushing each other and betting each other and trying to get out there. None of us did because we're all scared, right? But a few days later, I was meeting with one of my disciples and I said, hey, you've said like, as long as I'm doing God's will, I'm invincible, right? So we did that big storm. What if I would have went out and stood right in the middle of that storm? Like God would have had to protect me, right? He would have had to protect me. And I'll never forget what my disciple said at that time. He said, Josh, God could protect you. But remember, only a fool tests God unnecessarily. Only a fool tests God unnecessarily. I remembered that for 25 years. Some of you are testing God unnecessarily this morning. You're trying to put rabbit's feet and things out, fleeces out. You're trying to test God at everything. Well, God, if you really love me, you'll do this thing. If you really love me, I'll win the lottery. If you really love me, I will shove 35,000 calories in my body every day and I'll drink soda and I'll do all the bad things and eat ice cream all day every day and then I'll pray and ask you to maintain my health. Some of you are testing God unnecessarily and Jesus shows us that when we're tempted, we shouldn't test God in an unnecessary fashion. God is not to be mocked. And that's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. But he says, I won't be foolish. And because he's not foolish, he's our Savior and we love him. So trusting God when I'm tempted means that I look to Jesus Christ who perfectly and patiently trusted God in the midst of extreme temptation. And he's worthy of our trust this morning and he's worthy to mimic this morning. So by God's grace, May we as Christians say this, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm dependent upon God. I choose the hard path. And by his grace, I won't be foolish. May God give you victory in Christ today and this week. Let's pray. Father, may you bless us in your word. Thank you so much for this passage. And Lord, what a powerful example it is of Jesus Christ being the Son of God who perfectly passes the tests of temptation. And Lord, we worship Jesus, we love Jesus because we're not like him. We fall, we fail. But Lord, when you save us by your grace, you call us to mimic and follow this example. So Lord, I pray for every Christian in this room that as temptation assaults them and as they get pushed and tempted in every way by Satan and forces of darkness and the flesh and the world, that they might choose the hard path, that you might give them the grace to be dependent upon God. So Lord, I don't know what escape hatch people need this morning, but Lord, may you just illuminate their mind right now to take the escape door.
to get out of whatever temptation they're thinking about and to worship Jesus. And Lord, for some in this room, they're still under the control of the devil. They're still under the temptation of the world and there's no end in sight. So Lord, for some who are not saved, Lord, you're calling them for the first time to repent and believe in the gospel and to be free. So Lord, I pray that you would save those who are lost. Lord, we're gonna sing and respond and pray and worship. So God, give us grace in this holy moment. May we take this moment and lift our hands and our hearts to who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.